0: Heavenly Father, we come to you on this beautiful morning thanking you and praising you for one more opportunity to meet in your presence and thankful for your uh, your, your presence here with us in a special way this morning uh, during camp meeting and pray that you will bless our time in the word and may it encourage us, especially today as we think about the challenge and uh, the final few verses here of the book of Revelation. Uh, may it be an, uh, an encouragement that we can share with others about uh, what can happen, what w- uh, will happen, if they accept Jesus Christ as personal Savior. So, again, may we just uh, experience your presence in a very powerful way throughout the remainder of this lesson, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The challenge. Remember that? Yesterday was the conclusion. <laughs> but uh, it's like any other preacher, sometimes you can't get him to shut up. And I would sing. Okay, what, what did you mean by? That? I would sing my, <laughs> I would sing my beautiful dreamer song, but I'm not sure if my voice would do it. But it goes something like this: uh, I've given three points, but I got four more. You know. <laughs> so, uh, <clears throat> the challenge. Revelation 22, beginning of verse seven, will be our scripture lesson as we go through, the uh, this last portion of the book. But it's interesting that. The end of a book that's filled with so many ominous you know ominous events ominous things uh, would end in an invitation and prayer and the purpose of the book so we realized then that the purpose of the book as we have studied it together in in terms of the revelation of Jesus Christ and not really thinking about it in terms of uh, you know the end times per se or you know, the the things, the great things, even though that's a part of it. But what does it mean uh, to see Jesus in all the end times? And that's what we really want to see. And with Christ and uh, having a deep, loving relationship with a Savior uh, really means something. It means that we don't have to end in the dark, uh, but our future is bright indeed. So the challenge is very clear. The challenge is clear so how do we get the message out uh, because if we fail to do so many will head into a godless eternity I mean you talked about it in your uh, in your talk on missionary day less than uh, around 0.5 percent of Japanese are Christian so and a country of 127 million uh, 127 million and less than Less than 1%, just a half percent of those are Christian. You know, so, I mean, that's just one place. Uh, and even though there may be many in this country who profess to be in, that, in our, whatever our percent is, I'm sure that a lot of those are not living a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So, the Spirit of God concludes the revelation of Jesus Christ as it began. Revealing Christ and his invitation to find real life. So the book is not primarily, and this is the way I started four years ago. (laughs) This is the way I started. It's not primarily the revelation of the future, although it talks about future events. But it is a revelation of Jesus Christ. His person, his plans, his promise, his perfection. Three p four P's. And it's, it's, it's fun to do that kind of, kind of thing sometimes. But uh, his desire is to have then as many join him as possible. Uh, salvation, uh, according to my Bible, uh, we are all are predestined to be saved. That's God's plan. All. Uh, and so I believe that. And that's why uh, this, this book was written is uh, to challenge us to share that message. So it's to take that message to everyone. And then given giving them the opportunity then to accept Christ as well. Uh, so uh, Corey Tenboom said, We are not a post-war generation, but a pre-peace generation. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. So the Bible contains two challenges as we come to the end of the book. For believers, the challenge is to get the message out that Jesus is coming again and that people can be saved and be ready for that second coming. And for unbelievers, the challenge is to trust God rather than the progress and plans of man. So, I've mean, I, I got to get my clicker going. <laughs> I was at church last night. <laughs> I could have got it. The first thing we see is the imminent coming. It's in Revelation 22, verses 7 through 16. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things. And when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is, who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning And the end, the first, and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life, and may enter through the gates into the city. But outside are dogs, and sorcerers, and sexually immoral, and murderers, and idolaters, and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David the bright and morning star. So in that passage first, we see the uh, the promise, a powerful promise that the book of Revelation ends on. Behold, I am coming soon. And it seems hard to believe that it can be soon in light of all the things that were predicted throughout the Old and, and even in the New Testament, especially in the words of Christ that we read in Matthew. But the wide perspective events that John has recorded uh means that his coming is probably closer than we think. And as I've said it several times, it's kind of my, my mantra as, as I teach uh, end times is, it's closer than it was yesterday. I'm not telling you it's going to be today or next week or next year. I'm telling you it's closer than it was yesterday. We have one less day. So I'm speaking to the church here, I believe. I have, we have one less day to share the good news We have one less day to see to it that somebody escapes eternal hell. And so, he is coming soon. Have you ever wondered why the right-hand door mirror on your car says objects are closer than they appear? (laughs) ever you ever wonder about that? Well, we know, maybe you know, that the mirror is convex. And that allows a much wider angle of vision, but it kind of distorts the view, doesn't it? So we may borrow the words and say that the second coming may be much closer than it appears. Uh, it's like looking in that uh, rearview mirror. So the challenge in realizing that he is coming soon is for us to keep the words of his prophecy, to be walking with God so we are ready for, for it when it happens. Are you ready? I, that song always challenged me when we used to sing that song for invitation. Are you ready? Are you ready? ...for the judgment day. Every Christian should have that expectancy... ...not just a head knowledge... ...but a burning in their hearts... ...so that they'll want to share that expectancy... ...so they'll want others to know... ...that Jesus is coming soon. It seems so odd that many modern scholars... ...that's in quotation marks in my notes... ...many modern scholars... ...say that the book of Revelation is not prophetic... ...but only full of metaphors on the history of the church's struggle in the past. And that's kind of ironic, wouldn't you uh, you say, because Jesus' own words here says it is prophecy. These are Jesus' words when you see it in red. If you have a red-letter edition of the Bible, in Revelation, you'll see the words of Jesus, especially at the beginning and the end, because it's Jesus speaking uh, to John. And uh, so we see it in red letters. So these are the words of Christ. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy in this book. Those are Jesus' words. So he, he says the book is prophetic. And it seems like it's strange that modern scholars have somehow uh, changed the, the thought process on the purpose and even the words of Christ here. So why a prophetic book? So we are looking forward in faith to a great future. Staying faithful in the present and grateful that our past won't condemn us. So that's why the prophetic book, it's to help us to stay true to God in these days. The second part of our scripture talks about being prepared. John's reaction here gives us a clear message about worship. Don't worship anything but God himself. In a world that can draw us away from God to worship so many other things, we don't have to go carve out idols, although I, I see them, uh, and it, kind of, it always kind of astonishes me. Uh, I believe most of those probably are Catholic people, I'm not sure, but you see those little idols of Mary and some of the other saints and other things in their yard, and yet their Bible says the same thing my Bible says. Thou shalt have no other gods before me, thou shalt not make unto me any graven image. Well, to me, if you carve out a statue of one of the saints or a Mary, that's a graven image. And that's strictly forbidden. We are to worship God alone. God alone. And so we must not allow the things of this world to distract us. Nowadays it doesn't have to be an idol and somebody in your in your yard. It can be a car, it can be a home, it can be a boat, it can be your family. Whatever takes you away from true worship. Whatever takes you away from true worship, and we have to be careful here, and I'm not afraid to say it. Whatever takes us away from true worship is an idol. So be prepared. John's reaction to fall at the feet of this angel in light of the tremendous revelation uh, he has just received, shows the power of our misguided emotions. Sometimes we get caught up in the messenger and not the message. All these televangelists and with their hankies and, and all this other stuff, people get caught up in the, stuff, the emotional stuff you know, and not in the message. And uh, so John was very emotional at what he was seeing. And, and I, I don't wonder that he would be. If All this had to be just like, woo, you know, Wow. Uh, What does all this mean? And and I'm sure it's just probably finally almost wearing him out. Uh, And his guard was down as he fell to worship the angel rather than Jesus. Uh, And the angel stops him and says, do not do it. Uh, And that's good advice. If we get off track in our worship, we need to say to ourselves, do not do it. So mankind cannot ignore the important message of Revelation. Today, Jesus is your Savior, but if you ignore the message, tomorrow he will be your judge. Warren Wiersbe, the great Bible teacher, said this, he, or wrote this. There's a story about a frontier town <clears throat> where a horse bolted and ran away with a wagon carrying a little boy. I think I saw that on Little House on the Prairie once, yeah. Uh, and seeing the child in danger, a young man risked his life to catch, I think it was Almanzo. Didn't he jump on, uh, no. He jumped on uh, the wagon to catch the horse and stop the wagon. So the child who was saved grew up to become a lawless man. And one day he stood before a judge to be sentenced for a serious crime. And the prisoner <coughs> excuse me. And the prisoner recognized the judge as the man who years before had jumped on the wagon and brought the horse to a halt and saved his life and he pled for mercy on the basis Of that experience, but the words from the bench silenced his plea. He said, Young man, then I was your Savior. Today I am your judge, and I must sentence you to be hanged. One day Jesus Christ will say to the rebellious sinner, During that long day of grace, I was your Savior, and I would have forgiven you, but today I am your judge. Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire. So Jesus' words here, Behold, I am coming soon. My reward is with me. And blessed are those uh, who have washed their robes, are intended to emphasize the importance of being ready. Jesus was, has given the word so we don't get caught off guard. You see, he won't come in a thief as a knight to us. We should be expecting him. We should be looking for Him. It's the world that will be caught off guard. The second part of our lesson is the invitation of Christ. In verse 17, it says, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts, Come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And so in that we see, first of all, the partnership Uh, An interesting statement is made here. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Getting the message out is a partnership of both the Spirit of God and the church of Jesus Christ. The bride is the church. So it's the job of the Spirit and the church to get the message out. We are to give the invitation. We cannot invite people to Christ without the Spirit, and the Spirit works through us, the church. So it's important, the partnership that we see here, we're working together, and it's a, a powerful truth uh, that we are as, as uh, w- that we both have the same passion, the church and God's spirit. Uh, no church is a New Testament church that doesn't anticipate the return of Jesus Christ. And so those who have kind of pushed that message aside have, will have to deal with that. I believe, in eternity about what they preached and how, what they emphasized. Because it is a part of the whole Christian ideal is to, to realize that Jesus is coming again and that we ought to be anticipating that return. No spirit-filled church is going to be apathetic about the second coming of Jesus Christ. If the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and it's followed with an exclamation in that verse then it cannot be that the church is indifferent uh, to this truth. There is real importance in the invitation. Come. Uh, Together we are strong. Alone we are weak. Uh, David Mesh in uh, National Geographic wrote, uh, or he described how a seven-member pack of Arctic wolves had targeted several musk oxen calves who were guarded by 11 adults. So as the wolves approach their quarry, the musk oxen bunched in an impenetrable semicircle uh, and their deadly rear hooves facing out to their enemy. And the calves remained safe during the long standoff from the wolves. But then a single ox broke rank and the herd scattered then into nervous little groups a skirmish ensued and the adults finally fled in panic leaving the calves to the mercy of the predators not a single calf survived paul warned the ephesian elders in acts 20 that after his departure wolves would come not sparing the flock so wolves continue to attack the church today but cannot penetrate and destroy when unity the Spirit and the church working in partnership together when unity is maintained. When It's when believers break ranks that they provide an easy prey. When they get hung up on the carpet color, you know, the color of the drapes, or whatever other silly thing we get hung up on, those are when we break ranks, and that's when the enemy comes in before i became a pastor for the for the year the one year before i mean i i did some pulpit supply before that but that one year before i became a pastor i did pulpit supply for i think it was like 30 35 36 weeks it was a long almost every week and uh <clears throat> much of it was at the church i eventually pastored so i would teach my Sunday school class. At that time, it was First Wesleyan. Teach my Sunday school class and drive over and preach the sermon at the other church. And I told Bob, just keep singing until I get there. Um, But uh, in all those times, in all the various churches I preached in, there was only one time when I felt that the herd had scattered (laughs) and they weren't protecting their own. Something was going on in that church and it was bondage to preach. And I've never felt that before. I ne- had never felt that before or never felt it since. And all the times I've ever stood in a pulpit, one time, and I believe it was because of what it says here, that, that they had somehow, something had gone on, and something wasn't right, and they were, had scattered the herd. And now... Something was not right in the church, and that's what will happen if we don't stay together. Uh, I, one more, one more illustration, and this is in my notes. So, my first Sunday at at the summit. Now, <laughs> it's not the first Wesleyan anymore; it's the summit. Uh, but my first Sunday there after I said I would uh, supply for one year, which was ten and a half years ago. Um, the first Sunday, at the close of the service, they'd been through a lot. They had gone through three pastors in four years. I was the fourth. And all kinds of crazy things were going on. I didn't even know everything at the time, because I hadn't been attending the church. But I found it out at, later on, things I didn't want to know and, and probably wished I'd never heard. But um, that Sunday, God laid on my heart a message uh, about bringing the church back together Coming to, And at the close of it, I said, we're going to make a circle, you know, as big as we, you know, and we ended up going all the way around all the pews. And I said, we're going to make a circle and we're going to sing. We are one in the bond of love. You know, that contemporary chorus that we use so frequently today. And uh, <laughs> I said, we're going to sing. We are one in the bond of love. I said, but we're not. I said, well, the first time we sing it, I want you to hold hands. I want you to look at the people next to you. I want you to look at the people across from you and sing the song, We Are One in the Bond of Love. And we did that. I said, now I want you to turn around and not look at each other, but look out at the world and sing We Are One in the Bond of Love. Because the only way the church will stay together is if we look at the world and see the mission field and not look at each other and all of our faults. Because I said, if you look at me, you'll find plenty to gripe about you won't like my style of preaching you won't like my mustache I mean there's something you won't like all right because that's the way life is but I said if we don't look at each other if we look at the world around us look at our mission field it should keep us focused then but if we hold our hands together we can do it together and so I did that that first Sunday when I when I took over the pastor of the church We need unity, and we need to maintain that unity in the church. The Holy Spirit, the church, working together. Uh, And we speak and feel the same thing. The Spirit and the bride should have one voice. The Spirit and the bride say, come. It's an invitation, come. And the second part of that passage that we should get is the invitation is good for all. Notice how many times the word come is used in that one verse. You see, the call is to everyone, God is not willing that any should perish, but all come. If people keep hearing that Jesus is coming, and if they keep hearing the invitation to come, then some will respond. That's our hope. That's why we do what we do, isn't it, brother? It's why we do what we do. It's because someone will come. If it's one, what would a man give in exchange for one soul? So we have to keep doing what we're doing. So, but it's our failure to talk about Christ coming and the invitation to come that will result in people not being aware of what their uh, final outcome will be without Christ. So somebody has to tell them. So we keep preaching the message. Take a look around where you're sitting and find five things that have blue in them. Look around and see five things that have blue in them. Mary's shirt uh, that's is that uh, periwinkle Martha <laughs> there's a blue flag there's a blue five things that have blue blue hymnals so with a blue mindset you'll find that blue jumps out at you now you're gonna be looking blue for blue all day a blue book <laughs> a blue pillow perhaps in your living room or blue in the painting on the wall. If, if in, in a church setting, we might have seen even more examples of some blue, maybe, but blue. We're going to be thinking blue today, all right? In like fashion, you probably noticed that after you buy a new car, have you ever noticed this? If you buy a new car, you notice that make of car everywhere. Yeah. I have a 2005 Jeep Liberty, and I still see them all over the place. You know, they're still driving them because they drive forever if you keep a, if you maintain the things, you know? And you keep seeing them everywhere. I never I never really realized what a Dodge Caliber looked like until I bought one. Now they're all over the place. There's more crazier people as, as, people as crazy as I am. You know, because I just bought it because they got better gas mileage than my Jeep. I don't know why they bought theirs. But anyway, you'll see that everywhere. That's because people find, they find what they're looking for. They find what they're looking for. So we were looking for blue. We found it. We had to you know, look around a little, but but we find what we're looking for. So likewise, if we constantly talk about Jesus coming and invite people to come to Christ, they're going to be more likely to think about it. And maybe more than will accept it. So a church that expects Christ's return and speaks about it will tend to have a much more serious approach to evangelizing the lost because they know the future is probably here. A true mindset of Jesus soon coming creates a passion about the lost and so Jesus throws the net wide throws the net out wide for whoever can come, whoever wishes let him take the free gift. The third point on today's lesson is from verses 18 to 21 as we come to the end of the book And it's the important challenge. Verse 18, for I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things that are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, Lord, even so, come, Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. 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 Four years. No one is to alter the message. Neither add to it or take away from the prophecy of the book. We are to preach it. As it is, there are strong warnings here for those that wander wander from the message. So we have a clear message already. We just need to be faithful in preaching it. So it is critical that we preach the word. And I, and I I told you, I think earlier in the study, I've told the people in my church: if I don't preach the word, just throw me out because there's no good in what I'm saying. If I'm not in the word, throw me out. We need to be careful. As ministers of the Word, that we're faithful to the Word, true to the Word, and then we end that we give the call to come to Christ. the world doesn't realize what's coming they're looking at other things today as they as they have all down through history they look at other things and they're not concerned they're not looking uh, at, at things concerning the end times, so we just need to be faithful and that's why these warnings against changing the message to either add. Or delete uh, anything from it uh, is, is here because the outcome is too important. We cannot mess up the message. We cannot mess up the message. In leader in uh, an, uh, an article submitted by Pat McBride in Leadership Magazine, he wrote this: In 1981, a Minnesota radio station reported a story about a stolen car in California. Uh, Minnesota radio station, uh, a car stolen in California. So police were staging an intense search for the vehicle and the driver, even to the point of placing announcements on local radio, radio stations to contact the thief. And on the front seat of the stolen car sat a box of crackers that, unknown to the thief, were laced with poison. That's why they were trying to contact the thief. So the car owner had intended to use the, crack, the crackers as rat bait. Well, he had a rat that stole his car. Now the police and the owner of this VW Bug, it's always a VW Bug, isn't yeah. it? Uh, they were more interested in apprehending, apprehending the thief to save his life than really to recover the car at this point. So the message of salvation is critical for a person's future happiness. But if they don't hear it, if they don't know it, they, they won't know that what the outcome will be for them. Uh, they won't know how dangerous they're living. So the message becomes diluted when men start t- taking out of God's word, the Gillette version that we were talking about. That's, you know, Gillette razors. That's where you start shaving out the parts you don't like. <laughs> the Gillette version of the Bible. Uh It's when men start taking out of God's Word part they don't think are breathed by the Spirit or add things that aren't like things on golden tablets found in a cave somewhere in New York that we've never been able to find again. Uh, We are only safe with the message the way it was delivered by God without alteration. Preach the message. Keep it pure, then watch its power. And that's why I always like Gideon stories. Because they preach it by just passing it out or putting it in a hotel room or sending it with a soldier. Uh, They don't even really preach. They just give the word out. The word does its own. And so that's important for us to remember. Preach the message. Preach the word. Keep it pure. Then watch its power. Finally, we see the prayer. In these final two verses of the Bible and in the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ it contains both a promise and a prayer the promise yes I am coming soon the prayer amen come Lord Jesus the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people amen the promise promotes the prayer so we must be careful not to lose sight of the promise or fail to take that promise seriously It's too easy to allow ourselves to become so earthly-minded. We've heard this a a bazillion times. To become so earthly-minded that we're of no heavenly good. But if we become sidetracked from this truth, you know, it's really heavenly-minded, but I was seeing if anybody's really listening. (laughs) But we become sometimes so earthly-minded that we're of no heavenly good. The old saying is we are so heavenly-minded we're of no earthly good. So either way, there's a problem. So if we become sidetracked, though, from the great truth about Jesus and his second coming, uh, his, the first the rapture of the church, the second coming, we will lose our passion for the loss. And that's, that's critical that we don't do this. There's a former police officer that tells of the tactics of roving bands of thieves. Uh, they enter the store as a group. <clears throat> then one or two separate themselves from the group, and the others start a loud commotion, a distraction, in another section of the store. This grabs the attention of the clerks and the customers who go running to see what's going on uh, with the ones creating the distraction and commotion. And as all eyes are turned to the disturbance, the, then these accomplices that, were, that still are part of the other group fill their pockets with merchandise and cash and whatever they can get their hands on uh, and leave before anyone really suspects. I mean, they're out because they're, everyone else is watching and trying to figure out what's going on in the other part of the store. Hours, sometimes even days later, the victimized merchant realizes that things are missing, calls the police, but of course too late, much like when we got our church broken into and uh, they said, yeah, we, we had a few of these. We'll talk see what happens, and we never heard from the police again, but uh, once, once, they've, uh, once they've got it, they've got it, and sometimes you don't even notice it right away. It was like nobody, when we had the break-in, we knew about the one building because they broke a window to get in, you know, when they, but when they broke into church, nobody had realized they were in there until I w- went in, and I walked by the platform, and something's not right. Something's missing. They, there's, We have four microphones for the praise team on the platform, two were missing and two were there. But it just, uh, you, it, something wasn't in place. And then I realized they'd broken into the church and we found the window they knocked out. But uh, it was behind a bush. Uh, so, you, you know, you don't know it until it's too late. They are, they'd already run off with the merchandise. Too late. Too late. And how often this effective strategy is used by the enemy, The devil. He almost got my grandpa. My grandpa waited until he was virtually on his deathbed before a preacher went and finally he listened to someone after all the years that his family had tried to get him back to Christ, back into the church. Finally, there was a preacher that he liked, I guess. I don't know. It wasn't me. It wasn't my dad. It was someone else. But I don't care. Because the enemy had seduced him. And he had gone back into sin. But fortunately... Fortunately, he got back into the fold in, in the last hours. But uh, that's what the, the enemy will do. He will seduce us. He, uh, he, we will pay attention to the distractions while the evil, uh, the, the, his agents, ransack our lives. Uh, and in times when well-publicized sins have captured our attention, uh, we do well to check our own world pockets to see if we have anything left. We need to be careful that we don't allow the enemy to seduce us in these days. We cannot afford distractions from the message and the mission. We have too little time, too little time to waste on distractions. God's grace is the prayer John offers for the saints. Grace, what a wonderful gift. And grace, our grace too, our pianist. (laughs) You know, God gives grace in various ways. But his grace is a wonderful gift. So while we wait for Christ's return, we exist within that grace. I uh, always like uh, thinking about grace from the very beginning, <clears throat> uh, when, before we were even saved, before we even heard the message, what John Wesley called prevenient grace, that preventing grace, uh, and all the way to dying grace, and all the graces in between, all as a gift from God. All is a gift. So, we have that as Christians while we wait for his return. The bottom line is this. Jesus is coming soon. And all his children pray, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Is that our prayer today? Are we ready? You see, the close of the book of Revelation is a fitting challenge to two groups. To believers, the challenge is to hold on. Be faithful. uh, Be faithful to, to reach the lost with the message And to the unbeliever, it's to find Christ. It's to get in relationship with Him before it's too late. Jesus promised He was coming soon. And to God God who says that 1,000 years to man is but a day to Him, it is very soon until He comes. Are we ready? It could be today. It could be today. Wouldn't it be a great place to leave from? Well... That's really the end. I'm out of pages. I'm tired. 4 years. Well, only 3 of it actually. I skipped a year. Yeah, with a year off. So what do you think? Anybody any thoughts? Any questions? Well, that's the whole point of after the conclusion is to leave that encouragement for the believers. I mean, he's thought of everything. He's thought of everything. So it's a great message to share, great truth to share. We shouldn't be ashamed to do it. All right, well, thank you. Thanks for, for coming today, and have a great Lord's Day. Get some rest this afternoon and after lunch and get ready for tonight, 6 o'clock, Sunday night. <laughs> Don't forget, 6 o'clock. Six o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> the bell will ring. Yeah, the bell will ring. <laughs> yeah, but if, if